The Federal Reserve's relentless campaign to raise interest rates is having profound consequences, not just in the United States, but around the world. As rates rise in the United States, the value of other currencies is plummeting, intensifying inflation and a whole host of other economic and social issues. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. Well, Professor Wolf, we have talked on this show a lot in the past about the Federal Reserve's strategy to raise interest rates to essentially intentionally induce a recession, to intentionally cause an economic crisis, to rebalance the economy in favor of big business, in favor of capital over labor. So we've talked about the domestic ramifications of that, but let's focus today on the international situation. What is the role of the U.S. dollar in the world economy, and by what mechanism? I mean, how is it possibly the case that the actions of a handful of unelected officials of the Central Bank of the United States, of the Federal Reserve, have this much power over the lives of billions of people around the world? Well. Even though the position of the United States has been declining in the world economy from the peak it reached with the end of World War II, when literally all the other potential powerhouse economies had been wrecked in the war, and by that I mean Western Europe, Japan, Russia, and so on, it's been a downward trip for the United States for most of the last 75 years and particularly in the last 10 or 20, so that the United States is playing a much smaller role than it once did. But if you're the top economic system, if you're the richest country, large country anyway in the world, for as many years as the United States has been, almost a century, well then, an awful lot of the world's business uses your currency. It's the safest currency because it's got the most wealth behind it. There's really not much other reason. Important commodities in the world trade in dollars. If you buy oil in many parts of the world outside of the United States, the buyer has to come up with dollars to pay for the oil or else the seller won't sell it. 
banks in most countries hold reserves, particularly the central banks, in dollars to show the rest of the world that it's safe to deal in their country's currency because that currency is backed by what used to be called the almighty dollar. And finally, many debts incurred by governments, by individuals, by businesses are denominated, that is, these are debts that are made, borrowings that are made in dollars, where the borrower promises to repay the loan to the lender in dollars. And the reason this is done is that the lender is not willing to take the risk of lending in the currency of the borrower because it's too risky that maybe that currency will have a hard time and you want the debt you have undertaken, the lending you've done, to be coming back to you in the safest possible currency. And that's the dollar. So there's a lot of business that's done with the dollar. Starting with that last example, borrowing and lending, if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, here's an immediate problem that virtually all the rest of the world has. Whether you're talking about Western Europe or Asia, Africa, Latin America, huge numbers of debts, company to company, company to bank, individual to bank, and so on, are debts that are undertaken in dollars, where the interest rate is calculated in dollars. And if in some way the dollar becomes more difficult to get, you're going to have a harder time paying that debt back. And that's what's happening. When the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, here's the first thing that happens. All over the world, the richest people, the richest, flushest companies say, we are holding wealth in our own currency. But we know that in the United States, they just raised the interest rate, which means we shouldn't hold our wealth or even a part of it in our local currency, which hasn't raised interest rates. We better move it to the United States where we can get a higher interest rate. So here's what they do. They do exactly that. But these days, it's a keystroke on a keyboard somewhere that moves $50 million from, say, Italy to New York, or $50 million from Sao Paulo, Brazil to New York. Money is leaving the rest of the world, making it harder and harder to get money in the rest of the world. The central banks in other countries have to raise their interest rates. Otherwise, literally, all the discretionary money in those countries comes to the United States. Think of it as an enormous vacuum cleaner, the Federal Reserve. By raising interest rates, it literally sucks money out of everywhere else in the world to the United States. Well, since most parts of the world are much poorer than the United States, not all, but the vast majority of them are much poorer, raising interest rates is a way to move wealth, to redistribute wealth from the rest of the world, the poorer parts, to the United States, a rich 
part. Now, the Federal Reserve doesn't like to say that because look at what it looks like. Look at what it sounds like. And that's indeed what it is. The United States is trying to solve its economic problems, in this case, inflation, by withdrawing money from the rest of the world, incentivizing the rich all over the world to move their money here to this country, which is rich and arguably needs it least of all. It's not a pretty picture, but it's how capitalism works. Yeah, thanks, Professor Wolf. I mean, I think that's exactly the right way to put it. This is a redistribution of income from the bottom to the top. This issue has been getting some attention in mainstream media lately. For instance, the New York Times recently ran an article titled, The Dollar is Strong, That is Good for the U.S., by which they mean the U.S. capitalist class, but bad for the world. This is a paragraph from that article. In Nigeria and Somalia, where the risk of starvation already lurks, the strong dollar is pushing up the price of imported food, fuel, and medicine. The strong dollar is nudging debt-ridden Argentina, Egypt, and Kenya closer to default and threatening to discourage foreign investment in emerging markets like India and South Korea. So, Professor Wolf, I mean, how bad can this get? How bad could this get? What are the potential social consequences of this wave of inflation that's sweeping the world fueled by the U.S. Federal Reserve? I think at this point, if you had asked me this question two or three weeks ago, I would have been more hesitant about just how bad it's going to get. But the last two or three weeks have been pretty powerful statistical times telling us it's going to be bad. I think I can fairly say to you now that the consensus doesn't mean it'll definitely happen, but the consensus of economists, left-wing, right-wing, and in the middle, is that the rest of this year and 2023, that's next year, are going to be periods of global recession. Some countries are already in it. For example, the United Kingdom is already in it. There's a debate here in the United States whether we are already in it or not, and there's good arguments at this point that we might be like the British. The rest of Europe is trembling in fear. The election last Sunday of a government in Italy that draws its inspiration from Mussolini, the last fascist leadership of that country, should give you an idea of how upset people are, that they are willing to vote for extreme left-wing, extreme right-wing political figures because they no longer have confidence in the middle that has presided over an, a global capitalism that has hit us with a really poor response to the pandemic, a crash in the year 2020, an inflation over the last year, and now rising interest rates. It's too much. It's too difficult for too many people. And when that happens, communities, societies explode. As the interest rates go up here, just so everyone is clear, all around the world, people begin to have a hard time 
getting dollars because everybody who can get a, their hand on a dollar around the world moves it to the United States for safekeeping because it is a powerful capitalist country and looks to be in less bad shape than much of the rest of the capitalist world and because it earns higher interest so you get both safety and a better return and it means that the dollar is worth more. Let me give you an example. Over this month of September, this last month, full month of this year, September 2022, the dollar against the second most important currency in the world, which is the euro, the dollar has gained 5%. What that means is everything that the Europeans want to buy from the United States is now costing 5% more for them. They were already suffering an inflation from their domestic problems and the problems that come out of the sanction warfare between the West and Russia. And now we've had this change in the value of the dollar rising and their currency falling. It means imports for them are more expensive, worsening their inflation. And they have no slack here. They can't cope with this. And by the way, the New York Times is only half right. It may be good for some Americans that our dollar goes up, but I can assure you that for all kinds of Americans, this is not a, a good thing at all. And let me explain. If you're somebody abroad who normally buys your goods here in the United States because of the airplanes we produce or the high-tech materials we produce, when the dollar goes up, it means if you're a foreigner, you have to give more of your currency to get a dollar. That's what a higher-valued dollar means. So for foreigners, everything they consider buying from the United States has gone up by 5% just in the last month because it's so much more expensive to buy the higher value dollar. That's terrible for American exporters because the foreigner who can't afford to pay 5% more in one month, and it's been going up before that too, they're going to switch to their own country's products or to some third country's products that haven't gone up as much as the United States. Think of it for a foreigner this way. Prices inside the United States over the last year have risen roughly, the official number, 9%. In addition, the value of the dollar has gone up against most currencies in the world by 5 10 or 15% more. You've got to add those to understand how much more expensive foreigners are finding American goods. And you know what that means? They're going to buy fewer of them. And you know what that means? Americans are going to be losing their jobs because there's no point in hiring them to produce what is now too expensive for the rest of the world to buy. And you know one of the first places to see it? Tourism. Because foreigners who want to take a vacation in New York City or San Francisco or any of the other places foreign tourists like to see, they're going to have to give more and more of their currency to get a dollar 
because it's worth more, and therefore the vacation will be too expensive. And so that will mean losses for the big cities, for their restaurants, their hotels, airline tickets, and all the rest that tourists spend on. So inflation is bad in its ways, but raising interest rates as a way of coping has lots of bad consequences. We are being dealt with by a government here in the United States that is A, unable to prevent these economic problems from accumulating on us, and B, responding to them in ways that make people's lives even worse. Raising interest rates, which is not the only way to stop an inflation, not the only way the United States has stopped inflations in the past, is being dealt with as it has to be the only way, which it isn't. And let's make no mistake, inflation hurts people at the bottom the most because they have the least amount of money to pay the higher prices. But raising interest rates is the same kind of animal because who has the hardest time paying higher interest rates? The poorest amongst us. We're all going to have to pay more to get a mortgage for a home, more to buy a car, new or used, more to carry credit on our credit card, more for young people to go to college. We're making it harder and the hardest for those at the bottom. I don't believe most of the people listening to this program believe in a religion or a morality or an ethics that supports an economic system that works this poorly and puts the heaviest burden on those least able to afford it. I mean, it's such a profoundly undemocratic system, isn't it, Professor Wolf? I mean, everything about the Federal Reserve, how it's set up, is meant to insulate it from public pressure. I mean, nobody votes for who the members of the Federal Open Market Committee is going to be. Nobody votes for who's going to hold Jerome Powell's job as the head of the Federal Reserve. And yet, these are officials that have serious, serious power, serious, serious influence over some of the most important things in people's lives. I mean, yes, they have to be confirmed by the Congress and appointed by the president, but there's this layer of removal that's completely intentional, very intentional in how that was set up as an institution. And there are other aspects to how the Federal Reserve operates, for instance, that private bankers are guaranteed representation in the regional boards, the regional banks that compose the Federal Reserve system. So it's profoundly undemocratic from the standpoint of U.S. society. But then when you zoom out and you look at the rest of the world, I mean, it's even more extreme. I mean, here you have people all over the world in a situation where the actions and the decisions made by elites in a country that's not even your own, in a faraway country, is shaping whether or not you have the ability to get the bare necessities to live a dignified life. Yeah, and you're seeing these countries as they confront the fact that they have to repay loans that they took out in dollars at now higher interest rates because of what the Federal Reserve is doing. You know, when the loans have to be paid back, normally the country that has it or the foreign company that has the big loans goes back into the market to borrow new money to repay the old loan. It's called rolling over your loan. So everybody understands how this works. 
So I have $300 million that I borrowed five years ago. I am a, an African or an Asian or a Latin American country. I'm poor. I'm using the $300 million to build a dam or to build a sewage system or to bring electricity to large parts of my country, crucial for the economic development. And I know it could take a little bit longer. So my loan for $300 million comes due. In the past, if we didn't have this kind of situation, I'd go to a bank and I'd say, look, re-lend me that money. Just keep the loan going. I know it's due on Monday. Let's go through the paperwork. I'll pay you Monday. You reissue the loan to me also on Monday for another year or another two years. The bank says to be sure... I'll do that, but I have to inform you, Mr. Politician, Mr. President of whatever country it is. The loan we gave you five years ago carried a one and a half percent interest rates, because remember how low interest rates were a few years ago. But today, it's going to carry an interest rate of five or six percent, Mr. President, five times the interest you're going to have to pay me what you did last time. I'll roll the loan over. But the president goes, where am I going to get the extra money? I can't go to my people. They're too poor to tax them some more to pay for the continuation. And if you don't roll over the loan, what am I going to do? Stop the electric process in the middle? Then I've spent all that money and I can't deliver electricity to my people. I'll be voted out of office. The banker smiles and says to him, if you don't borrow the money, then I'm going to declare you in default. I'm going to sue you. You're not going to have the loan, but worse, you're going to have a suit for the default. I mean, these are catastrophes crowding in multiply on countries all over the world, and they don't want to be cut off from global credit. They literally might stop functioning. So you know what they begin to do? They tax their people more to have the money to pay off their higher interest rate, or they literally stop importing food and clothing and energy so that they have the money they used to use to get the stuff they need and use it instead to pay the now higher interest rates. The Federal Reserve, as you rightly say, Walter, is making decisions that are rapidly unraveling countries all over the world. And you're going to see, unless something dramatic is done to change this, collapsing governments, wild struggles in the streets when people's livelihoods, their ability to keep warm in the winter, their ability to feed their children become compromised as countries try desperately to navigate an economic system that keeps not working for the mass of people. Professor Wolf, in our last few minutes here, I want to turn to a different subject. What's going on specifically in the UK? The value of the pound, the UK's currency, has hit the lowest it's ever been relative to the value of the dollar. I mean, of course, there are national particularities about what's going on there, especially with the new government taking office, but it's also certainly related to a lot of the trends that we're talking about. What is going on in the UK and what's the significance? 
Well, you know, these are the final, and I don't know whether to say years or months, this is the end of the British Empire. This is the final chapter being written when the British, having lost all those parts of the world that they seized because for a while they had military superiority, particularly in naval and ocean-going military activity. They lost India, which was the jewel of their empire, and they've lost pretty much everything else. They are becoming a small, poor backwater of what replaced them, which was the American empire. And that's what we're watching. And by the way, we are watching it in speed, but we're also watching it in our own country, just in a slower process, and we're earlier. We're not at the end. We are in the early phases of the decline of the American empire. It's not a pleasant story. It's not a pretty picture. And mostly it is governed by efforts to distract people from what I just said because the politicians are afraid that anger will rise about the decline and blaming them for either causing it or at least not handling it very well. Look at the British, and I'll be brief about that. A few years ago, they blamed Europe for all their problems. They basically blamed Europe for the decline of the British Empire. And if that makes no sense to you, good. Then you understand focusing on Europe was like scapegoating immigrants. It's a little bit like what Trump and folks like that have done in this country. You know, make up that those people, other people, poor people from somewhere else are the cause of your economic system's collapse. So they voted to separate from Europe. Just like in this country, we voted to make presidents out of people who scapegoat immigrants. Did the scapegoating of immigrants stop the difficulties in the United States? On the contrary, two or three or four years after we started expelling immigrants, we're full of discussions of a labor shortage. Hello, what do you think was going to be the result? Same in Britain. Their economy is in worse shape than ever. Breaking away from Europe did not only not solve their problems, had nothing to do with their problems, which have, of course, therefore gotten worse. They now have elected an even more conservative new prime minister than Boris Johnson, who was such a liar that they kicked him out before his term might have been over otherwise. I mean, this is... People who are in denial, they're not facing any of their realities. We're being distracted these days by these statements of our leaders that our economy is in good shape. Our economy is a walking disaster, and we better deal with it because distracting us by loud pronunciations, say, about a foreign war in Ukraine, that distraction is not making anything better. It's not solving any major economic problem in this country, arguably making that worse. We were not told to expect that we might not be able to heat our homes or run our cars because of the energy implications of attacking Russia economically. That kind of issue is supposed to be worked out before you make dangerous decisions, not afterwards. We are watching an unraveling of a global economy. 
the smooth functioning that the United States managed for a while, just like the British managed it for a while, was destined not to last. No colonial people have ever in perpetuity accepted being someone else's colony, just like they didn't accept being someone else's serf or slave or any of the rest. It's always a question of time, and the British time is now over, and the Americans either learn from it or they're going to repeat it, and only difference will be it'll go even faster this time than it did with the British. We're going to have to leave it right there. We were joined by Professor Richard Wolff. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.